0: Just wanted to keep the suspense going for all of you who have access to that, Um, but Happy New Year hope that you guys are well today and that you have had a good festive period and a good start to this year. I know as Shell said, for some of you, this is maybe an anxious time of year. This is a hard time of year at the start of each new year. I am one of those people who loves the start of a new year though. And Nathan Green did call me the Santa Claus of New Year this week because I just get really psyched about the start of a new year and the potential for what could happen and all of the things that lie ahead at the start of each new year. Now I hope you're on the same page as that, but maybe you're not. And I just wanted to ask, I'm not actually going to ask you what your New Year's resolutions are, if you've got some this year. So I know some of you are kind of anti that, you don't believe in that. Some of you maybe feel embarrassed to put that out there, kind of the things that you're wanting to grow in this year. So I thought I'd tell you what Inc. Magazine had to say about, after surveying, surveying 2,000 people, the top 10 most New Year's resolution things for 2019. Do you guys want to throw out any guesses of what some of them are? Lose weight. Lose weight, yeah, you're 100% there. I think probably a few of us are feeling that one at the beginning of 2019. Anything else? Lose weight? Get fit? 100% right? Eat more? Read more is there. Very good. Number seven. 17% of the people surveyed wanted to learn to read more. Let's not learn. <laughs> they knew how to read. They wanted to read more. Maybe that's lower down. Anything else? Shuffle more? Shuffle <laughs> more. What is Actually, I know the song, Every Day I'm Shuffling. I actually don't know what the shuffle is. Uh, Travel more. Anything else? Be a better person. person? Go to church. Put the past behind you. Whatever's gone is gone. So at number one, diet or eat healthier. 71% of the people surveyed. Exercise more. 65%. Lose weight. 54%. I think probably a lot of us have got those top three just kind of bunched into one. Save more and spend less learn a new skill or hobby, quit smoking, read more, find another job, drink less alcohol, and spend more time with family and friends. If you're like me, maybe you've seen kind of on a lot of social media channels, people are doing exactly what Brendan's been saying, kind of putting out the new me, kind of new year kind of stuff. Or maybe you've seen a lot of the articles and blogs and posts about New Year's resolutions or the anti-New Year's resolution stuff that is out there. Um, there's a lot of that going on. And I think probably that's because change is hard. We know it's not easy to just say, okay, January 1st, I'm going to be this new person, those top 10 things, I'm going to apply those to my lives, and I'm just going to do that. You know, if it was easy, we wouldn't have to make resolutions. And then maybe one of the Christian blogs that I look at a lot, the Gospel Coalition, they had these four blogs posted on their first week this year. They had how we change, how to grow in self-control, how to form new habits, and how to create a rule of life, kind of a bunch of boundaries in terms of how you're going to live and who you're going to become. And it's a weird thing because, in a sense, there's nothing different or new about just the start of a new calendar year. You know, Like Brendan said, it's just like any other day. And as Lamentations 3 says, his mercies are new every morning. You know, Every day we can decide, actually, we're going to do the things we want to do and be the person we want to be and who God has called us to be. But for me, I think there's something so relieving about almost ending the chapter of an old year and just saying, that's behind me. I'm going to close that door. And now this new year lies ahead, kind of clean slate, new chapter, empty page, let's start this new year. And it means kind of we can put some stuff behind us, some stuff we need to repent of, maybe some stuff we need to reprioritize after 2018, but also we can look ahead and dream, like dream and plan and think about what we're going to be doing in 2019. And for all of us, I'd really love to encourage you to get alone and spend some time with God and pray and seek him and say, God, what are you saying to me for 2019? What is your will? What is your way? Where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And make sure that we're walking into those things, not just on our own. So I hope this doesn't let you down, but today I don't want to try and preach a message which is going to revolutionize your 2019 or revolutionize your life. I just don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I think probably for some of us, we're already feeling overwhelmed. You know, If you read some of those articles, there's so many things that we should be doing or trying or learning or getting better at. It can feel a little bit overwhelming. So instead today, instead of revolutionizing your life, I just want to remind you of some of the things that Jesus says, these are the big things of his ministry. These are the big things that we should prioritize and give our lives to. And hopefully, I, I know I can't tell you exactly Jesus's specific word for you in 2019. You're going to have to go and get alone with him and pray and listen to what the spirit is saying and hopefully get something. Maybe do that this week. But I can't give you his specific word, but I think I can give you some tracks that actually we can run our lives along and hopefully head towards his will and his plans and himself for you this year. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Otherwise, it's going to pop up on the screen behind me. We're going to read verse 14 to 20. And really, this is right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And this passage kind of tells us a lot about what Jesus was all about and what he was preaching and what we should give our lives to, to. So Mark 1 verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So what does this passage have to say to us for 2019? Or well, maybe as you look at that, you see these big ideas that Jesus is highlighting, the gospel, the kingdom, repent, believe, follow me, and also to become fishers of men. But here in this passage, we see Jesus is calling us to be disciples, to follow him as his disciples. And if you've been at Harbor City for any length of time, you know that that is something that we are going to highlight. That's going to be something that we emphasize. And that is the mission of the global church, you know, whether you've been in church before or not. I think all of us have got ideas of what church should be and what churches should do. But what Jesus tells us is that the church exists to make disciples. That is the mission of the church. That is the priority of the church. That is why churches exist. And that is our vision as a church. We want to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Like personally, we want to know him. We want a relationship with him. We want to follow him. We want to believe in him. We want to hear his word to us. And we want to help other people to know him too. And know his forgiveness and his love and his grace and his goodness. We want to know Jesus and make Jesus known. We want to make disciples and disciple Durban and see the world around us discipled and begin to follow Jesus. But in all fairness, you could kind of ask me, well, Grant, what does that even mean? You know, what does it mean to disciple Durban or make disciples or all of this? And I um, signed up for a new app on my phone because I wanted to try and um, learn some new language, learn some new words or vocab or whatever. So I signed up to this Word for the Day app. And my word for today, just so you know, was inundate. Great word, good to learn. But a few days ago, I got the word bostrophedon. You guys know that word? Good word. I think I'm saying it wrong. fedon or whatever. Basically, that means to write from left to right and then right to left. It's an ancient Greek kind of plowman type of writing. Now, I've heard of kind of the left to right kind of Western writing and almost the right to left Eastern. But this whole Bustafedon thing of left to right, right to left, that was very interesting to me. Now, I put that out there because I'm never going to remember that word. I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that idea. And almost as I speak about discipleship and making disciples today, you can almost hear that word and just think, who's to feed You know, like it doesn't matter to me. It's not relevant to me. I don't know what that means. But really, this is such a key idea for us as followers of Jesus. And in a nutshell, really a disciple is a learner, is a student, is an apprentice, is a follower. And this word disciple is the primary term that Jesus uses in the whole of the Bible To describe Christians. Some of you will know this, but the word Christian is only in the Bible three times. That's kind of like a crazy thing, hey? The word disciple is used to describe followers of Jesus 269 times in the Bible. Which means that's kind of a big idea for us to get, you know. If you're a Christian here today, it doesn't just mean that you go to church and you wear a cross and you do christian things. It means that you're a disciple, an apprentice, a student, a follower of Jesus. That you know him and have a relationship with him and are doing the things that he's called us to do. Christians are people that know and follow Jesus. And in Jesus' day... The people who had disciples were rabbis or teachers, you know. There were a whole lot of them that had these followers that went around with them and they were a big deal. So for you to be accepted as a disciple or chosen as a disciple was a real honor, you know. People would desire this and you can imagine Jesus' disciples feeling the privilege that they were chosen by him to be his disciple. This would have been almost like getting a fully paid scholarship to your favorite university or getting the job of your dreams. These people were chosen by their teacher. And these teachers would choose the best of the best. They would try and choose people that were smart and committed and responsible because they were going to kind of carry on their legacy, you know. They were going to invest themselves into these people, and then hopefully after they died, they would carry on doing what they had always done. They would follow them and become like them and learn their ways and then become like them and carry on what they had done. They would be discipled. They would become teachers. So when Jesus goes to these four guys, James and John, Andrew and Simon, and he says, follow me, which was the language a rabbi or a teacher would use when he called disciples, this light bulb was going on in their minds. There's a rabbi, a teacher in front of them, who's saying these words, follow me, which is a huge honor. So you can imagine their chests puffed out and their eyes started to glow. They were chosen to be disciples of Jesus. But at the same time, they knew the sacrifice that this entailed. They knew, because this was so common in their culture, what it meant to be a disciple of someone. So they knew that this was a life of sacrifice. They were going to have to lay things down. They might upset some people, that they would have to give up their lives as they knew it to follow Jesus. They would have to like, be really studious and learn his ways. They would have to go with him wherever he went, become like him, and then carry on his legacy and his ministry. And that's what Jesus invited those disciples into, and it's what he invites us into today. We are called into the same life of following, of apprenticing, of studying Jesus' ways that they were. So let's look at some of the things Jesus is saying there in Mark 1. He starts with those words, follow me. And Jesus was inviting these disciples into a very specific type of relationship with Jesus as his disciples, and for the next three years, they were going to go with him everywhere he went and do absolutely everything that he did. So they would spend time with Jesus. They would hear Jesus preaching. They would see Jesus healing the sick and doing the miracles he did. They would see him casting out demons. They would see him crying. They would see him laughing. They'd be with Jesus around a fire and on a boat. They'd travel with him from town to town and city to city. Everywhere Jesus went, these guys would go too. They did everything together. And they got to see this gospel life lived out by Jesus and kind of the good and the bad moments of life, the ups and the downs and everyday life, the mundane, the ordinary, the exceptional. They got to see this gospel life lived out by Jesus. And the thing he called them to is the thing that he calls us to today To He's saying, follow me to you and I today. He's inviting us into the ordinary, everyday, mundane life with Jesus in it. And more than that, can I just say this? It's wrong to say, actually, we've invited Jesus into our lives. We've welcomed Jesus into our hearts. What Jesus is actually doing here is he's calling us into his life. He's calling us into what he is doing and say, come and play a part in that. Come and follow me inside of that. Probably all of you remember the game, follow the leader from when you were kids. Sorry, I know I've got pit stains. This shirt was a real travesty today. Should have chosen something else. So can we just put that aside for a second? I know I appreciate the R's. It was a bad decision. I'll be wearing black next week. Remember, follow the leader from when you were a kid. One of these children would be set apart and called out from among the rest. You know, Ordinary kids, but then there was the one. And all the kids would kind of gather behind this child and follow them everywhere they went and imitate everything they did. So if they kind of marched along, you would have to march along. They went up the jumping castle, <laughs> jumping castle jungle gym, whatever. You had to go up and you had to wave your arms and do a little kick to the side. Whatever they did, you had to do. And if you didn't follow along or imitate them exactly, you were out. It was kind of a last man standing kind of thing to see who would be the new follow the leader. And I know this is very simplistic and it's a bit cheesy, but maybe it's a helpful way to think about Christianity because we are following the leader, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Messiah, wherever he is going, that is where we're going. Whatever he is doing or whatever he calls us to do, that's what we do too. You know, we are following him and going after him. And I want to say this because Jesus is not stationary. Jesus is not standing still. Jesus hasn't finished what he's doing. Jesus is carrying on with his work in Durban in our world today. And he says, come and follow me and be part of what I'm doing and play a role in it and copy me and see what I will do through you. So I guess the question I want to ask you today is, are you following him? It's possible that we believe in him, but aren't actually following the leader and imitating him and doing what he's doing. The other thing I want you to notice here in Mark 1 is there's kind of no prerequisite for these guys to follow Jesus. Like if I was Jesus in this case, because I obviously know way better, what I would do is say sit down. We're going to do interviews one at a time. I want to grill you. I've got this bunch of questions that I want to go through. I want to know your story. I want to know your past. I want to know what you believe. I want to know your spirituality. I want to know everything. I'd probably do these kind of little printouts with all sorts of tick boxes. They tick certain things or fill in some details because I want to know their story. You know, I want to know their sins. I want to know their struggles. I'd want character references and all sorts of things from people in their lives who know them, but not Jesus at all. They didn't have to strive to earn this position of following jesus this was not necessarily something they earned or something they deserved at all this is completely a grace call come and follow me it's like jesus is saying follow me as you are come as you are but it's not stay as you are that's the big thing he said repent and believe there i think if you've been around this church a while you've probably memorized this but to repent is a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart and a change of life. A change of mind that leads to a change of heart and a change of life. And that's what Jesus is calling them to. They are turning from their old ways and old sin. It's a turning and leaving that behind. And the believing or the faith or the trust is a taking hold of Jesus. So you turn from and what do you take hold of? That is repentance and faith. And that's exactly what's going on here in this situation. I can give you a brief linguistics lesson here. This is a present imperative tense. What is going on with these two words? So, if this idea of repent and believe was always something you've done, you know, when I was 12 at Sarnia School, I repented and believed and turned to Jesus and started my life, and that was it. It's not what it means. This is a present imperative. This is kind of a new life that we live. We live in repentance and we live in faith. Wherever we go following Jesus, this is the new life and kind of the new orientation that we have, being in repentance and being in faith in Jesus. And as he kind of makes this call to these four fishermen, immediately they leave behind everything else and they begin to follow him. And I think for us as we read this, it's really easy to read. It's really easy to read those uh, seven verses and go, wow, yeah, they left things behind and they followed Jesus. Who wouldn't? Without actually thinking about the cost. What this cost them to say, Jesus, we're in. We're going to follow you. We're going to do this thing you want us to do. So firstly, what a lot of the scholars say is that 70 to 90% of that region was poor at that time. I think that's something we can imagine. That's probably like the stats of our city or province or country. You know, 70 to 90% of the people were poor. And obviously these guys weren't. You know, we see with Andrew and Simon, they don't have a boat. They're just kind of fishing off the edge of something with their nets. But James and John had a boat. They had a servant. They had someone who they had hired to work for them in their fishing business. So they might not have had a fleet of boats and this huge fishing business, but they had a business. They ran a business. They had a career. They had income. So these guys were probably um, upper middle class citizens in their society. They had money, and when Jesus calls them to leave everything behind and come and follow him, they know they're giving up their business, their career, their stability, their comfort, their secure income. They're giving all of that up to begin this journey of following Jesus. The second thing is when Jesus calls them to follow him, they're leaving their family behind. Now, in Jewish culture at that time, what had happened is this idea to honor your father and mother had kind of risen to the top. This had become basically the primary command. And you could understand in these family cultures basically what the family wanted, what the will of the family was, or the will of the parents were, that's what went. So when Jesus calls them and says, follow me and leave your family behind and come after me, this is a radical call. They're going to upset their parents. They're going to upset their family because they're saying, Jesus' will, Jesus' way, that's going to come first in my life over what the family wants. I don't know if you've ever had to say no to your family to say yes to Jesus. It's a really hard thing to do. It's a really uncomfortable and unsettling and confusing thing to have to do. But you can imagine these men like feeling the tension of this, leaving their career behind, leaving their family behind. Because probably for most people in the world, those are the two places we find our identity the most. In what we do or in our family, who we come from. And Jesus is almost touching the nerve of both of those things and saying, those can't come first in your life. I need to. Will you leave those things behind or leave those in second or third or fourth place and come and follow me and put me first? Jesus is saying, my teaching, my will, my way must come first. Saying, I know there's all sorts of other pulls and pushes on your life, but you have to put mine in first place if you're going to be my disciple. Here we get almost this picture of what it's going to mean for you and I to follow Jesus in 2019. And probably if we are to live this out, it means we're going to be misunderstood sometimes. We're going to have some uncomfortable conversations. We're going to let people down. We're going to disappoint people, our bosses, our families, whoever it is. Because the way of Jesus is different to the way of the world around us. And they're not always going to understand us. And we're not always going to understand others. Even in this community, we're not always going to understand how we seek to follow Jesus. But that is what we're called to do. I think some of us this year might involve sacrifice. It might involve saying, actually, this is what I want. This is what I would choose. But I know that Jesus is calling me to leave that aside or lay that down to pick up what he has called me to and what he wants from me for this year. But I think what makes that easier is we know what he has sacrificed for us. We know what he has given for us. So that far greater sacrifice makes our sacrifice easier. And we know even in the sacrifice We're getting hold of the greater treasure of Jesus. The second thing he says is, I will make you become. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, this is a lifelong process of transformation and being changed and becoming like him. In Luke 6 verse 40, Jesus speaking, and he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And that's what he's calling us to, to become like him. So we're not just followers, but we're also students of Jesus. And for each one of us, we should be wanting to study his words and his teachings and his ways to become more like him. Sorry, I don't know if anyone else is irritated by kind of those windows. Maybe you could just shut them or put the blinds up. Whatever you think, Krista, I trust you. I can just see some people flinching, and I want to put you out of your pain. Maybe I can just say this as a bit of an aside about being students of Jesus. As a church, we believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative word of God, that God has given us his words and his will in this book. So I want to encourage you to study this book. I want to encourage you to read it. I want to encourage you to absorb it, to memorize it, to pray it, to get it inside of your heart and your mind so that it can do deep work inside of us. And probably as we do think about new habits and like, I don't know, new you for 2019, this is probably a good place to start. And um, Lifeway Christian Research uh, released like this 10-year study that they've done. And they basically said that the number one thing that shapes Christian maturity is Bible engagement. I think that's crazy. In terms of you and I, if you want to grow in your faith, reading through the Bible and memorizing it and praying it through and discussing it with other people and applying it to your life and learning what it says is so key for you and I to grow. I really want to encourage you to get into the scriptures in 2019. Maybe you've already got a game plan for how you're going to read the Bible this year. But I'm not saying that you need to become like this PhD level Bible nerd. That's not what I'm saying for 2019. But what about just like a basic level daily engagement with God's Word and the scriptures? Why not make your 2019 plan? I don't know, to get like a six pack in the Bible. And I don't mean go to CUM Books, the worst bookstore name of all time, and get six Bibles. Like, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Why don't you get ripped in the scriptures, in the gym of God? Just trying to give you, like, a mental picture, get swole in the scriptures in 2019. And I don't know, like, there's really cheap, I know it's cheesy, I know it's lame, but there's super cheap ways that you and I can do this, you know? If you don't have a Bible or a study Bible, which is a great tool, you can download something like Uversion, which is a free Bible app, I think that's such a helpful thing with a number of Bible reading plans. Or we've repped the Bible Project quite a lot in this church, but their videos are incredible in understanding the books of the Bible and themes of Scripture and just words in the Bible. They've got podcasts and blogs and all sorts of things. I think maybe why not otherwise just decide to read some of the books of the Bible you haven't read before? If you choose from today to read four chapters of the Bible a day, that's 10 to 15 uh, minutes a day, you would be finished the Bible by the beginning of December. That would be a cool thing to like tick off in 2019, I read the whole Bible. So I really want to encourage you to spend time in the scripture, praying and reading and letting the spirit do work in us, because that is one of the ways that we are transformed more and more to Jesus's image. Do you know what Paul the Apostle says is the way that you and I change? He says that the way we change is that we spend time with Jesus. It seems so obvious, you know. But in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, And we all with unveiled face. So almost the idea is there's no veil, kind of like an Old Testament picture of Moses. There's no veil hiding the glory of God and the face of God. And we all with unveiled face, beholding or seeing or observing or contemplating or witnessing or gazing the glory of God. The beauty and the character of God, beholding that, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What we learn in this verse is that we become what we behold. We become what we behold. And for some of us, we're not changing, we're not becoming, we're not transforming, we're not becoming more like Jesus because we're beholding other things. Our vision and our heads and our hearts and our lives are filled with all of these other things, and they might even be really good things, but we're becoming more like them. We're being transformed into their image more than being transformed into the image of Jesus. And Paul says to us at the start of 2019, you become what you behold. If you want to become like Jesus, we need to be intimate with him and spend time with him, and behold him, and see his beauty and glory. The last thing Jesus says is he calls us to be fishers of men. Now this is a bit of a weird term. I think some of you are going, okay, disciples I get, followers I get, students I get, becoming like Jesus I get. Fishers of men is a bit of a weird one. And I've been in church since I was twelve. I've been like working in the church for over ten years. I've never met someone, and you kind of realize we're on the same team, both Christians, whatever it is. They've never said, oh, cool, we're both fishers of men. You know, I've never met a Christian who's self-identified first and foremost as a fisher of men because it's a bit weird. Like it's a beautiful biblical term and it's filled with rich imagery, but it's a bit strange, you know. So people don't often use that, but this is something that Mark One teaches us. That if we are following Jesus, if we are disciples, if we are learning his ways, then we will also be fishers of men, or evangelists, or gospel preachers, or witnesses, or missionaries, or whatever term you want to use. Don't exclude yourself from that. I know this makes some of us nervous. We've got some amazing evangelists in this church. Some people who just love to share about Jesus with others, and it comes easily. If that's not you, that's okay. But we can't disconnect these things. Disciples are fishers of men. Disciples are gospel preachers or witnesses or missionaries. It's just part of who we are and part of what we do. Part of our call is to fish for people. That is part of what Jesus has called us to do. And that's one of the reasons we're running Alpha this year is we wanted to create an opportunity or almost give this church a tool that we could practice this and live this out. Because I know this is intimidating for some of us and almost in the safety of our own homes in a non-threatening way can make some meals and we can hang out with people and invite our friends and watch a great DVD and hopefully see some people ask some questions about Jesus and begin to follow him. That's what we're wanting to do and hoping to do. I just want to say this morning isn't like a rah-rah Harbor City morning. You know, That is not what I'm trying to do. Like, come on, let's get pumped for Alpha. That's not my goal at all. I was picturing almost like what is his name? Braveheart, William Wallace, or whatever. Face painted, kind of chanting, Alpha, you know, let's take Durban for Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to say today. I guess you could make that point out of Mark 1. It's just not the goal of what I'm trying to say at all. But what I'm trying to say is that we are fishers of men. We are already fishers of men. And I want you to think about the fact that we are all fishers of men who once were fish. And I was thinking about that fact that there was someone along the line for each one of us who prayed for us and invited us to something—an Alpha course or a church event or something—and probably answered some of our questions and gave us lifts and cared for us and was patient with us when we were difficult. I know there was for me. You know that my fisherman was Howard Wayne. He was a friend of mine when I was twelve, and Howard invited me to youth. And I remember having a bunch of fun and really enjoying that. And he would be praying for me and answering my questions and just being a good mate to me. And then one Friday night, he invited me to a youth rally in Sarnia where I made a decision to follow Jesus and become a disciple. And I got saved. I got forgiven. I uh, was reconciled to God. I became a Christian. I crossed the line of faith, whatever language you want to use. But it was a life-changing moment for me. I want to ask you today, who fished for you? Who was the person who put in the hard yards with you, who loved you enough to awkwardly have these conversations about Jesus and to invite you to things and to speak to you about things, who cared about you enough to do all of that because they wanted you to know the good news and experience what they had experienced in him. Remember how sweet the gospel was when you first started following Jesus. Remember how sweet it was when you learned about how much God loves you. And I know maybe some of you haven't experienced that yet. Remember when you felt his forgiveness or felt washed clean by him. Remember, because this is the good news of the new years, is that we are given a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and a fifth chance, you know, when we mess up. We're given a new hope, that we're given a new life, that we're given forgiveness, that we're given love. All of these things are the offer of Jesus in the gospel to us. And this is really, as fishes of men, what we get to share with people. And when Jesus calls Simon and Andrew and James and John, he calls them out of a life of fishing, out of a life where every morning they'd wake up and make their coffee and kind of get the sleep out of their eyes and go down to the boat or go to the seashore, take their nets and kind of cast them in to catch some fish. He calls them out of that lifestyle, which fishing is just what they did. And he calls them into a new life where they're fishing for people. They're calling, he's calling them into a new life where as they wake up and they make their coffee and begin to follow Jesus, they are still fishing, but they're fishing in a new way. They're fishing in a different way. They're fishing for the people in their lives. And as we start 2019, I'm not going to revolutionize your year, but I want to remind you of those three things. That for us, we are called to follow Jesus. We're called to a life of transformation, and we're called to be fishers of men. So why don't you stand with me and we'll pray. Jesus, just as we start this new year, I ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit. I ask you that the goodness of the gospel would become real to us again. And I pray that you would just remind us of those early days of following you the sweetness of the gospel, just the first experiences of your incredible love, how much you had done for us. Remind us and reveal us, reveal those things to us, Lord, that we would actually believe them and that we would know them. I ask that you would change us from the inside out, and the 2019 would be an amazing year of following you and walking with you, and that we would grow in some incredible ways, and we'd see you do some amazing things. I know different people in this room are trusting you for different things. But Lord, we bring all of that before you. And we ask you, Lord, that you would hear our prayers and that you would answer them. And that you really would bless all of these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.